Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com tapiphone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, 
Your business is always at your fingertips. Matthias, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. So I came across you by way of our mutual friend, Mike Rohde. And when I came across your website and saw that you produce a handwritten newsletter, I thought, okay, there has to be something fascinating about this story. Uh, So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to everything that you're up to in the world today? Yes, I'll certainly... Certainly, see if I can answer that tiny little question off the bat. <laughs> uh, I think I think the the story really begins in my childhood with Lego because Lego was this you know I'm from Denmark and and it's like the the pride of Denmark in terms of toys, but it was also just the toy that made the most sense to me because I could create whatever I wanted and of course I had to let go a little bit of perfectionism to to live with the fact that all the the bricks were blue and red and yellow, but the stuff I wanted to build might be Star Wars. And in Star Wars, everything is gray. Um, So all the the little um, Star Wars fighter jets that I built, they were maybe red and blue. And so I think for for me, that was just kind of the the, the magical beginning of of creation. I also spend a lot of years just drawing all kinds of things on paper, um, imagining. It was like play pretend with a friend. Um, not in, I can't really remember how we got to, to that idea, but we always pretended that we had a company. Mm-hmm. And so one, one week it, or one month it was, um, it was a car company. So we would draw all these cars, you know, and, and my drawings of cars always looked like Audis because I really liked their cars so it was kind of adapted audience and we imagined that we had a, a car company and my friend would do all the bookkeeping and we would roll dice to imagine how many cars of each model we would sell to different countries and we were hugely profitable you know because it was just, <laughs> <laughs> we just decided all the numbers and then the next month it would be a plane company and we would be making airplanes that all had different seat configurations and stuff and then i think i think that's my first real sense of like entrepreneurial thinking you know even though it was just a fantasy world in i don't know sixth grade um and then i think that one of the 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 major turning points building on on those two threads was when my uncle taught me um seven different kind of basic functions of uh, software programming so he taught me microsoft basic really so for me that was kind of you know he just taught me like if this um then go to line 40 and then you could build little programs like that in in microsoft basic and for me it it, it was that feeling of like my, my pile of lego on the floor was restricted by the very little pocket allowance money that i had so i had a finite number of bricks but with this coding thing I could just keep on writing more code and there was always another day with more hours uh, tomorrow to write more. So it was like having an infinite pool of Legos. And so that was extremely exciting. And my friend and I, uh, the friend who had also done all the air, airline and car companies on paper, uh, we began investigating this programming world together as, I guess, 13-year-olds or something like that, I think around that time. And, and we did, and we made these little games and, and we experimented with a freemium model where we distributed them on floppy disks to our friends as a demo, and then they could buy the full version for $2. And, and it was essentially the same. It just unlocked a few uh, little features. And it was very unsuccessful. You know, we <laughs> sold one copy to, to, um, to my parents, and then we sold one copy to each of his parents. So we sold a total of, of three copies of our, our first uh, games pack. Um, but we learned so much and it was like, all we really had was the built-in manual and then uh, just lots of time to experiment and try things. And, and, we, and we really did make these little weird games. One was like a stock market simulation uh, where you had to buy and sell different stock um and it was it was really interesting uh then around the time um was also when um 
I don't know how it was in, in the States actually relative to that, but it was around the time where there was this new thing that we began to hear about called the internet. And uh, I, I must admit at first I didn't really understand what it was, but we had it at, in, my, in my school and sometimes you got to do research, uh, not just in the library, but if you, if you picked a particularly strange topic and they didn't have any books in the local library you, you got to be one of the lucky ones that got to go to a special room where we had one computer with this modem that could dial up to the internet um, so that's my, my first internet internet memory and i think the thing that happened was that all this coding thing that was, had just been kind of a you know a virtual form of lego very quickly became a very valuable skill on this internet thing because of course uh, I also figured out then based on that coding experience how to make websites and how to make not just websites that could show some information and you know the, what we called back then static websites but actually make dynamic websites where you could interact with data and do things and make them uh, work like what we call web apps today um, I was 15 at the time, and suddenly I had uh, adults, you know, clients, companies that wanted to hire me to help them build these online, online things because they didn't really, they, they knew that they had to do it, but they didn't really know how. So when I was 15, I was living on a boarding school um, in, in rural Denmark in the middle of the forest, um, and I got this this big, big project with a publishing house in Copenhagen to help them build and launch their first ever uh, online learning platform for, for small kids. And so I had to go to the principal and say, I, I got this meeting with the CEO of this publishing house. Do you think I can get a day off and take the train to Copenhagen? And he was like, I have never heard such a request before. Um, how, how are you doing on your homework? And I was like, I'm, I'm all great with homework. Like, don't, don't worry. And he's like, okay, I can go to Copenhagen. And I did. And it, it, it became this, you know, it, it, the project ended up running over seven years. And I think the, the site is actually still live and, and working in Denmark. So that was really like my, 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 um, my transition from, from building Legos just for myself and then actually incorporating in my father's name because I wasn't legal to sign any papers when I was 15. But I had to do something so that I could begin invoicing and billing these clients that I had. And, and I think this, the, the strangest thing was that, to me, it never really felt like a big shift. You know, I began getting, getting huge checks of money that I then used to buy um, what to me was just more tools, you know, a, a new laptop, and and I bought all my software for myself and instead of instead of pirating off the internet. Um, so it, it never really felt like a significant change, other than the fact that it was cool that now I didn't have to play on my own anymore. It could actually be a social thing because these adults wanted to, to participate in in the play that I wanted to have. So that was really the the, the first. The first chapter of of that, and I think from from there, I would say my the next the, the second chapter was then in in college opening a door into fashion and suddenly having a personal interest in the world of fashion and taking this internet knowledge with me into that and building a few fashion media projects on the internet um, with a friend while I was in college, so exploring a whole new form of creativity and, and eventually becoming a photographer, uh, getting, you know, paid client work as a photographer, leaving the internet a little behind. Um, and then I think the, 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 the third chapter, which I guess is, is where we are now, where I am now, was moving to New York about four years ago and actually feeling fed up with this whole online world, being having lived, I think, a, a very open life on the internet and shared a lot of stuff and been very, I guess, also very self-promotional because I was just hustling and trying to make shit happen. Um, I really felt a need to unplug and, and, and really rethink what it was that I was doing. And, and also because my, my business was this kind of 
you know, randomly happening mix of clients in different areas that had known me as a web developer and then as a fashion writer and then as a photographer and then as, I guess, something else. So, and all that business fell apart when I moved to New York. Um, so I really had to just sit down and figure out what do I, what do I want to do next? And it was tough. You know, I was, I was doing, I was doing my taxes after the first year in New York and I could see very clearly black and white that I was spending more money than I was making. And it was, it was kind of just going, going down. Um, and then it, it, it occurred to me because people keep, kept asking me, well, what do you want to do? And it occurred to me that I'd never actually really asked myself that. I had just been playing and doing things and then one opportunity leading to another, leading to another based on like a little interest here and there. And so I sat down and really asked myself, like, what if the world was like Burger King and I could have it my way <laughs> all the way, all the time? Like, what would I actually really want to do? Not limited by what I'm currently able to do, not limited by anything really. And I couldn't answer. I didn't have a good answer to that. But I began to see fragments of an answer. And that's, that's when I had learned this, this graphic facilitation thing from a friend and began drawing it out on paper. So again, I didn't know what I would be doing, but I knew that I wanted to have meetings with five to 10 people. And I wanted to see those people again and again, week after week and help them um, work on their project. I, I knew that I didn't want it to be my project. I didn't want to be starting another company, building another project. I wanted to support someone else in their thing. And, you know, as I kept piecing together, you know, how would I want the business model to look if, again, if it was Burger King and I could just decide. And I, I pieced together this kind of half-baked answer without actually knowing what I would be doing, but at least having a tangible grasp of what I wanted it to look like. And then one of my friends here in New York, who was a, another uh, entrepreneur, hired me first to, to help him and his co-founder in one of his companies, and shortly after hired me for one of his other companies to work with him and his other co-founders in, in, in those two companies. So all of a sudden, I was you know, launching a new career as this startup uh, entrepreneur, CEO, life coach, without really knowing what it was, but just doing it because it felt right and, and going with the flow. And so that's, that's where Think Clearly was really born out of, uh, Think Clearly, the, the newsletter you mentioned. Hmm. Um, it was born out of this, it was born out of this uh, work of asking, you know, actually I was my own first client, you know, asking that first question, imagining an unrestricted world, what would I want? Trying to get in touch with, with something else than just what people said that I should or could or something. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the past, the past three, four years and still am now less, less as a coach, um, but more in the form of this, this newsletter that I guess we can, we can talk more about. Yeah. Uh, and then taking my, my full-time work uh, with a company here in New York called Hyper Island, where I get to do more of that um, group facilitation, but just in a, in a larger scale and in a slightly more structured environment where there are other people that really help with a lot of the practical stuff. So I get to optimize and do more of the stuff that I'm really good at and less of the stuff that is uh, tedious and, and challenging for me. Hmm. So that's, wow. I think, the, the shortest answer <laughs> of, the, of the journey that got me here. Well, there's there's a lot there. Uh, I, I want to go back to the very beginning of this. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the very first things you said that really struck me uh, was this notion of being able to look at a bunch of Legos and letting go of perfectionism. And I think one of the occupational hazards of adulthood is that that desire for perfectionism gets in our way. And I'm interested, you know, from the perspective that you've brought and from the career that you've had, how you start to let go of perfectionism. Yeah. So that's a good question. And I think some, sometimes I, I actually feel like I don't really know, but I can, I can definitely try to give, give my, my best idea of what it might be, or at least my, my own theories of, of how it, how it works. Um, I think for, for me as a kid, I think it was the, it was the, um, 
I mean, it, it, there was a, a, there are different elements. So one is, I think, that the absolute joy of just being in that flow state of building and putting things together. And I remember building. I think one one of the th- the objects that I built multiple times was um, was an F sixteen fighter jet because that's what the Danish military had. And so I had photos of that in a book. All of this was pre-internet. So I had them in this book with fighter jet airplanes. I studied these photos, and then I tried to build something in that shape the best that I could. But it wasn't like a process of just building it and then being happy with the imperfect first result. It was building it and then looking at it and seeing this can be better, and then partially taking it apart again and rebuilding it a little bit, and then partially taking it apart again and rebuilding it in a slightly better way again and again and again. And I think that iterative process uh, would just leave me in this sense of, of uh, what, what I, as an adult, learned to call flow, but at the time was just kind of a, a pleasurable uh, state of being where time would fly by until I was aching in my whole body from lying on the floor. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really it. It's that just getting, getting the building started because once there is something, it's much easier to keep going by taking apart a little bit and rebuilding. So hmm. I think now, now, that I'm, now that I'm saying it out loud, I think really the, the process was getting very quickly to something that had the rough overall shape of the object, you know, in this case, the, the plane, the mm-hmm. airplane that I was trying to build, looking at that and, and starting from the outside and, you know, making adjustments on the overall shape and then rebuilding the, the tip of the plane. And when I was satisfied with that, then going into more detail with the wings and making the wings look more right. Um, but only really doing that detailed work once I had kind of a complete model, because that also meant that if my parents would call me then and it was a time for dinner and I would have to leave it in the middle of something, I wasn't leaving, you know, a half airplane. It was a full functional airplane that was just in going through this, this uh, iterative improvement process. Hmm. Sounds a lot like uh, the writing process. Even, uh, you know, the writer Anne Lamott talks about shitty first drafts. Yeah. And, you know, I, I realized that a good amount of my own writing process is producing as much as possible and then subtracting what shouldn't be there. Yeah. True. I, I see that. Absolutely. I think I must admit with writing, I actually, I, I still haven't learned how to do that second part. So in writing, I'm very good at just producing, uh, producing those first drafts. Uh-huh. Learn how to rely more on other people to, to find the editors around me that can help me uh, shape maybe not so much for the newsletters because they're so short but for the for longer form writing i, I definitely have i'm good at producing those shitty first drafts, but then <laughs> don't having the the commitment to, to to keep evolving it let me ask you this one of the things that was really interesting to me about the earlier part of this story is this idea of playing business a sort of boundless imagination that led to all of these different things. And I am interested in how we get back that sense of boundless imagination if we've lost it. Yeah. And how we bring it into the work that we're doing every day. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess it's... Hmm. I think. I think in a way... It, it's hard to answer because I feel like I never lost it and had to find it again. Like I just, I, I managed to not lose it along the way. Hmm. Um, but I think it, maybe in the in the work that I've been doing with with entrepreneurs, I think it's the, the the main I would say overall tactic I've found to to reconnect with it is is to take these kind of imaginative questions very seriously so for instance the questions i the question i asked myself you know about what if the world was like burger king and and i Mm -hmm. could have it my way what would it look like instead of stopping and saying oh but i don't have the perfect answer you know just beginning to write down fragments and pieces and accepting that maybe you can't come up with a whole and complete and um 
an internally coherent answer, but, but maybe you can come up with fragments and maybe those fragments are mutually exclusive. Maybe those fragments are incongruent with each other, but it doesn't matter because it's the act of just admitting with yourself the, you know, what it is that, that you see in your mind's eye when you, when you take serious time to try to answer a what if question, like what if this boundary that I feel so much um, was no longer there. Another, another experiment I've often done with, with people both in, in large and large groups and individually um, is because a lot of people, almost everybody feel a resource constrained very specifically around money. Mm-hmm. So I, I do this exercise where I ask people and say, okay, I'll give you a billion dollars and all I want you to do is make a spreadsheet and account for how you're going to spend it. And really to push people to, to go into detail. So if they want a fancy car, that's not specific enough. Right. Which car? You know, do you, why, why not two of them if you could? You know, and, and is it a, a McLaren or a Ferrari? And which Ferrari? And what color do you even want it? And, and look up how much does it actually cost, including registration plates? And how much will you spend on parking? Because you'll need to park it from now and until the, until the rest of your life. <laughs> Just make a note and add all those numbers together and, and see how far into that billion dollars you can actually get specifically. And, you know, people keep saying things like, oh, but I would, I would save... Uh, so and so much. I'm like, no, but that's not spending. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if if you can spend the the whole billion, I'll just give you another fantasy billion to spend. But but investing it or spending it is um, very different things. Mm. So that's that's another way where I try to push people to to really um, to be okay and not. I think I think a lot of in our culture we're we're trained to be. In many ways ashamed of our desires and it's not to say that i'm hedonistic uh, and say that oh it's all about acting on your desires but i think because we have so much shame around wanting stuff mm-hmm. uh, we, we deny ourselves that impulse uh, and by doing that we kind of suppress whatever instinct we really have in terms of what we desire to to do and build so for me it's almost like spending time imagining stuff even if it's just materialistic stuff that society has taught me that I'm supposed to desire, but then also made me ashamed of. Letting go of that shame and just imagining and writing down these, you know, this is the stuff that I would like to just buy and have in my life. And maybe I will never buy it. It doesn't matter. But I take the time um, to really be in touch with that impulse. Mm-hmm. Then I feel, I feel like that, that, that keeps me in touch with that sense of possibility. Does this make any sense? To oh yeah, yeah. No, no, you're you're speaking my language. I love it. This is just pure gold. Um, this is these are the kinds of conversations I absolutely love. Let me ask you this about that process of taking somebody through a fantasy billion. What have been some interesting revelations that you've seen people come to through that process? Ah, oh, great question. Um, like even recurring themes, I can almost almost sum up. Uh, a lot of people want to fly business class because they are, they're fed up with flying economy and taking buses and all of that. And they, they just want to fly business class. I'm like, do you know that there is something above business class? Like, you can actually fly, fly first class. Like, oh, wow, yeah, I absolutely want that. You know, and how many vacations are you going to take and how much are you going to fly? And they add all the numbers up and realize, okay, so with, with a billion dollars, you can fly first class. Uh, for the rest of your life, and maybe they, some some people people even go into you know owning their own jet and chartering private jets and all that stuff. But then I ask them, okay, so what about family? You know, once you have kids and all, and they're like, yeah, 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 you know, vacation with kids and flying first class. And then once they begin to really imagine it precisely enough, it usually occurs to them. I've seen this several times. It's like, oh, actually. I've met kids that grew up with wealth like that who became really annoying and obnoxious kids, you know, and they're like, oh, maybe actually my kids should not fly first class. Like, maybe <laughs> I actually want my kids to grow up a little bit more like normal kids. And maybe actually, hmm. and then suddenly, like, that whole fantasy world that they built, uh-huh. it's like, oh, I don't actually want this. Like, somebody else just told me. 
that I was supposed to want this. And we can all say that in, in words. We all know, I think, somewhere that it's true. But I think when I see people go through that exercise, I, I can just see that it changes from kind of an intellectual knowing to kind of an emotional knowing and a, a true sense of letting go of some of that stuff and, and realizing that that's actually not it. Mm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So one, one other question I have for you is uh, around turning points and learning to recognize when they happen in your life. And I've asked this in numerous forms to different people. Uh, you, you mentioned that your uncle teaching you how to program was one of the turning points uh, of your life. Do you think that those kinds of turning points are only things that you can recognize as turning points in retrospect, or do you think you can recognize them when they're actually happening? Um, I think, I think it actually, in, in, in my experience, it has been both uh, with, with the programming. I definitely did not feel it or see it. I think so clearly at the time, like I knew that I was very curious about learning about program because I had played computer games and I was like, how can I, how can I make this, you know, how can I get into the language of this machine world? Um, but it, I don't think it, it at the time felt like a real big turning point to learn it because it happened gradually. You know, he, he taught me just the first couple of step, steps. Mm -hmm. um, so, I think it happened too gradually over time, all that learning and accumulated until, you know, it, it, it culminated in kind of 
a realization that, oh, I have a skill that is actually valuable for other people and we can, I can begin having clients and doing projects and building things that are much bigger because it's not, not just me anymore. Uh, so I think that, that was kind of a, yeah, a slower, stretched out one. But for instance, that moment, you know, about a year after moving to New York of, of filing taxes, that, that felt in the moment as a big turning point because I, I had almost like this, I had this, this voice in my head, um, because I was, I was, I was really just terrified. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I could just see uh, kind of the end of the runway in terms of my my finances, and I could see that I wasn't really making progress in getting my new business going because I didn't really know what that business was. I just had moved to New York and wanted to do something else. And 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 there was a realization looking at those tax numbers that maybe I need to ask for help. You know, instead of trying to figure it out all on my own, maybe I need to ask people for help. And right when I had that thought, I could hear the, the breath of, of, um, of the breathing of, of Darth Vader in my mind. It was like... <sighs> and the voice was like, if you ask for help, nobody will like you anymore. And it was like this, whoa, <laughs> who, who are you? Um, moment. Uh, so, so there, I really, I really, I think, in the moment, could grasp that, that this was something that I hadn't uh, done before. Mm. So, how do you emotionally navigate such a difficult uh, and challenging period in your life? Mm. Like, how do you manage your psychology through something like that in order to get through it? Yeah. I think one thing that I've, especially when, when I was um, on my own for those three years, I think a big part of it has been to just admit to myself what is actually the hard stuff and what is easy. Um, because it's not necessarily what people think. Like, I think we have a tendency to think that doing the work, if you're doing something that's that that matters it must it must be somewhat difficult to do you know it it can't it can't be easy but normal things like brushing your teeth and cooking a meal and getting out of bed in the morning you know we, we kind of think of as trivial but i would say in in the in, in at least in my emotional life um, particularly as a as an entrepreneur and, and self-employed and, and building my own stuff some of those trivial things were by far the most difficult. Uh, getting getting out of bed in the morning could could really be a struggle. Just and not just getting out of bed, but getting out of the house, you know, and figuring out what is this day about because nobody else is going to tell me what it's about. So I have to recreate myself and recreate what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and what I'm going to do specifically today and and how long I'm going to work and where I'm going to drink that coffee and how I'm going to get over the fact that I'm not making money, but I still need to spend money on this coffee because I need, you know, like very, very trivial things could feel like the biggest burdens. Um, and I think just being honest with myself and saying, okay, maybe other people don't see it this way. Maybe other people think that it's closing the deal or doing the work that is the hard part. But But right now it's okay that, the hardest part is just getting out of bed and that I can actually celebrate, you know, the moment where I get to the coffee shop and I have my cappuccino in front of me, I've actually done 90% of the day's work, emotionally speaking. And now I just need to, to, to do the, the play that I do for the next seven hours before I go home. And, and it will have actually been most likely a, a highly productive day. Um, I think I think that's that's definitely one of the the tactics that I've employed. Mm-hmm. Specifically with the with the Darth Vader voice, I remember setting it up as a game for myself, and I said that the rules are that every time I challenge the Darth Vader voice, every time that I dare to admit to somebody that things are not going great and that I actually need help, I will get one point. And every time the Darth Vader voice is too scary. 
and I don't dare to share and I, and I keep my mouth shut and pretend that everything is going great, then the ego, the Darth Vader voice will have a point. And so I made a little, a little game and kept score in my, in my notebook every time I went out, met with somebody and I dared to just say, you know what, you know, how, how are you doing? Oh, you, da, 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 you know, listen, this is actually how it is. Um, and I totally beat my ego's ass, actually. I, I won seven, mm-hmm. seven to one within a week. And I was like, great. But wow. I think that that was a way of, of, of demystifying it a little bit and saying, let's, you know, I can, I can choose to be limited by this voice of fear in my head, but I can also choose to try and see if I can get over it. And it, it might take a while, you know, it might be a long, a long battle. So let me keep score and see, see how it goes. Wow. I love that. That was really, really practical, yeah. uh, which I, which I really appreciate. Um, you know, one of the other questions I have for you is how all of these different backgrounds, you know, the Legos, the, the building games, you know, the imaginary businesses, the programming, and then, you know, the complete opposite of that, which is photography and fashion, how all of those have blended and intersected to influence and shape the work that you do today. Um, I think, I think it's a little bit like that, you know, like that shift from from playing Legos to programming to running a business. That it that it never felt like a significant shift for me because it was like like a natural continuation. I think in the same way that, it, I mean, it, it's it, in many ways it, for me it's like it's in somebody else's head that all of these things are so different. In my head, they they never felt as if they were you know, that's separate. Um, and I think just, just using, using whatever I had in one area to get into the next, uh, has kind of been the, the way to go. So, so the internet programming stuff was a great thing because when I was getting into fashion, instead of having to write for somebody else's publication and, and having to figure out, you know, who to write for and all of that, you know, my friend and I could just build our own platform and begin publishing our own content and and creating creating it and playing it by our rules until uh, until the newspapers and the magazines came to us. Uh, so, in a way, you know, it was it was just that what, what unites it all was just that personal interest in it. That I wasn't in into fashion because of of the business opportunities. You know, I was I was business wise, I was. The, the the most unsuccessful I've ever been was was in the fashion you know all the money I made consulting on on the internet I I spent trying to do these uh, fashion things but it was but it was just a personal interest and it was interesting and it was fun people and um, yeah I guess also I guess one of one of the things with, with fashion especially as an entrepreneur that that really triggered re- triggered me was that there were just so many other people that were interested in it. Mm. And so it was much easier to build kind of a, a community-based project uh, because there were so many people with so much passion. And and what I really missed when I was doing a lot of the internet consulting was that it was a lot of software coding where I was just sitting by myself. So I really needed, I felt like I needed to, to do work with other people. Um, and that, that's, that's one of the things I found in the, in the fashion thing, regardless of whether it's fashion or, or it could have been something else. But it was just one domain where there were a lot of, of talented people with a lot of passion and willingness to invest their time in, in creating something together. Hmm. Let's do this. Let's shift gears and let's come back to that question of looking at the world and asking, you know, what if I could have it my way, you know, all the time, like Burger King and talk about how we conduct such a process in our own lives. And more importantly, how you look at the fragments and find clarity between the fragments to put them together for something. Yeah. Hmm. I think I, I like when when you said before that it's very something else that I said was very practical because I think that's that's really I guess the 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 main um, uh, the main ingredient in a lot of the the mental work that this really is for me that 
it's about making these things practical. So, so maybe, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's the process of just getting the fragments down on paper because when I can see them in front of me, uh, and that's, I, I really like when you say practical because the way I think of it is, you know, that your thoughts go from one thought to the next thought to the next thought and, and you can try to influence it. But it, to me, at least, it feels like thoughts generally flow um, kind of a little bit on, on their own. But what I do feel that I have control over is my hands. And so if I can somehow interject into that thought loop, you know, by looking with my eyes on a piece of paper and having fairly decent motor control over my hands, by, by putting things on that piece of paper in front of my eyes, I can much more specifically hold my attention uh, on a specific thing. So right now, you know, as we're talking, I have a blank page here in front of me and I've written out different keywords that we talk about so that I can tie threads back to this and that uh, without having to purely in my mind remember what we have just talked about. Mm -hmm. And so for, for me, it's, it's a way of just making it yeah, practical and, and, and using my hands essentially to shape my thinking. And so when exploring questions like that, you know, what if I could have it my way or any other uh, fantasy question, the, the way I, I really do it is like um, to, to just take that piece of paper, create a quiet space for myself, and then write out the question on, on a piece of paper. Write out the question as I want to ask it. And then almost... Um, yeah, just, just really letting go of, um, you know, instead of, I, I, I sometimes catch myself thinking, oh, what is the answer? What is the answer? What is the answer? And then I can't. But then if I just begin writing, even if the first couple of sentences that come out are not the answer specifically or logically, they don't actually match with, with the question I had asked, the fact that that question still sits on the page in front of me as I keep writing, you know, I, I get closer and closer to that. Um, I think I think that's that's really the the the, the practical way of, of exploring it. And then as the, the other question you ask, you know, is how how to make sense of those fragments afterwards, how to fit them together. I think sometimes you can't, and that's okay. That that may be a conclusion that that you have dreams uh, and fantasies that are incongruent. Maybe with, with reality, maybe with each other. Um, but that's also a valuable takeaway because then you can maybe just group them and see, okay, well, these two at least um, kind of go together. And these two go together. Maybe you can, you can piece it together in, into more like, it's almost like laying, laying a, a jigsaw puzzle and realizing that the pile that you have is actually not from, from one jigsaw, but jigsaw puzzle, but actually from, from two or three different ones. And you can begin sorting them and you can begin finding the patterns. But it's impossible to, to even do that sorting work if you don't just put it all out on paper at for, uh, as, as a first step. Hmm. So let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about how this is all translated into a handwritten newsletter and, and you know what what is the message that you're really trying to get across with this yeah um the the transition the transition to the newsletter happened because i was i was doing this this coaching consulting work on an ongoing basis with with clients and people kept saying to me like oh you should do a newsletter you need to to do something to to promote yourself and and get the word out and i was like i don't want to be another person with a, a newsletter about myself um i, I was like this is this is the, not not for me i i think i was clinging to this idea of being very different and i i think as a strategy in marketing that is that that might be good in some circumstances, but in other cases, I think it's better to just learn from learn from what works. So eventually, eventually, a friend of mine, a client of mine, pushed me and said, "What what if you do do it in a way that makes sense to you?" And I I think it resonated with me that instead of saying, "Can I do a newsletter or not?" You know, do I want to be different by not doing it? You know, what what if I accept doing a newsletter but ask instead? 
yeah, how, how can I enjoy making it really so that it doesn't become a hassle? And so I think it, it was, I was trying to take basically the, the process that I did with clients of asking them questions and making little homework assignments for them, which was what I did. Um, but then just making it slightly more applicable um, to a larger group of people. Uh, and then just trying that and seeing, seeing how, it, how it went. And in the beginning, the, the newsletters were incredibly long and incredibly elaborate. They were still done by hand because that's, that's how I enjoyed uh, making them more. Uh, it, was never, it was never really supposed to be a marketing tactic. It was always just, um, it was always just because it was the, the way that it was less work for me. It was the way I naturally would, would want to do it. Mm. They were very elaborate with lots of steps. Like you have to sit down, with, set a timer for 10 minutes and write out these, the answers to these four questions and then do this and then do that. Uh, and, and over time, they've just become... Um, you know, simpler and uh, more like one simple idea and maybe one question that you can ponder or ask yourself. And you can do it on a piece of paper if you want to. But the feedback I kept getting from from people was that they loved reading them and they loved thinking about them, but they very rarely would sit down and actually uh, do as I had so meticulously instructed them to do so i was like maybe maybe the opportunity is more just to give people a little a little nugget to ponder uh, and not expect them to to put in uh, 30 minutes of um, attention demanding work Mm -hmm. so one last question about this and we'll start wrapping things up do you Mm -hmm. think that there is something inherently different in the creative process when you actually do it by hand that just comes out that doesn't necessarily when you do it on a keyboard? Mm. Actually, no, uh, in a way, I don't think that it's in, inherently different. I think it's, I think it is, um, because I think it's, it's not about whether it's by hand or, or, or by, by keyboard. I think it's just that there are a whole lot of other things that usually are going on when you're on a screen. Um, that you know, we have all these notifications and things that pop up and bleep, and um, maybe suddenly the computer wants to install new updates. And I think it's it's more around that that I see paper sometimes just being more. Um, more uh, effective because it does not distract me. I, I can still distract myself, you know. So again, it, the, the the difference is not fundamental. It's more just on a on a scale between things uh, that are on, on a scale from being more distracting to less distracting. I find paper to be less distracting. And there's that, you know, it is a little more, I think, free form for me that you can both draw and write and switch back and forth uh, very quickly. But again, there, there are digital tools that really do that uh, maybe in a slightly different way, but that can actually do it, do the same thing. Uh, I, think, I think for me personally, because I did all that early work on, on the internet where I was on email 24-7, I just have, you know, in my, in my brain, I have a lot of, uh, kind of dormant uh, bad habits of multitasking back and forth and, and becoming very impatient. And I think those, those are, are easily activated, at least in my brain when I'm on a screen. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I like to keep, keep some of my thinking work on a, on a, on a blank page of paper. Well, Matthias, this has been really, really interesting. Uh, well, I, w- I would be curious. What are you? What are your takeaways? So, what are the the thoughts if if you are after listening to me ramble for forty five minutes now? Well, I I happen to do a lot of my writing by pen and paper, which is the reason your story was intriguing to me. But I've never sat down and thought about really taking each of these questions that you ask, big questions, and kind of you know letting my mind go wherever it goes, um, without you know, really trying too hard to, to focus on any one thing and just kind of seeing what comes up. Uh, I think, you know, you've, you've basically shown as a way to conduct a process of deep self inquiry through pen and paper. Yeah. 
That is very, very good, good sum up. But I think I want to add something to that because I think I, something that, that, that I left out maybe before was when, when I do that kind of um, automated writing and, and self-inquiry, there are actually times where you know, I, I almost get to a place where I'm just observing my hand and I don't actually fully control it. You know, it's just kind of answering the questions and I'm looking at what comes out. And I think it's important there to, to accept that some of the answers that come out um, don't actually resonate with an emotional chord in my gut and mm. others do. And that, that's, that's the other part of it, that it's not just that whatever comes out is right. Uh, sometimes when I answer a question, I will have three different answers that will come out, but I can clearly feel in my gut which of them is the real one and which of the ones are more just kind of the, the knee-jerk uh, reactions that, my, that my, my mind thinks that I'm supposed to think or something. So I just want to add that as a, as a perspective when if you're, if you're trying and, and doing this, that it's okay to see whatever comes out, but it's also okay to throw it away and say, this, this came out, but it doesn't resonate with me. It came from somewhere else. Mm. Uh, so you can, you can let it go again. You don't need to be trapped or feel like a victim of, of your own handwriting. Wow. So one last question for you. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable. Mm. I think of... Mm, I, was, I was writing something about this morning about evidence that is indisputable. I think it's, it's a, along similar lines, you know, it's something where you, you just know it and then maybe there's no explanation or maybe you can reframe it so that, um, so that it's not based on any kind of shaky ground. It's almost like what, what Descartes was trying to do with his, you know, I think therefore I am. He was trying to build a, a logical argument without basing it on, on on uh, on anything, um, I, guess, I guess unmistakable is, is a slight variation then of that, where it's like it's it may not be logically true, but but it is instinctively so. Like it's um, yeah, you don't you just you just know when you see it. I guess yeah. Well, this has been really, really interesting and and thought-provoking. And I I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and sharing your story and your journey with our listeners. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I I hope that it it made some sense. Yeah, uh, no, it made a lot of sense. Really, like I said, very, very thought-provoking. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Good. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.